Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome. Totally forgot about the show. <laughs> Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Ghost Chronicles International, right here on Tojanet, Pararex, Ghost Channel, and beyond, and soon to be on Crystal Tear Radio as well. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper to the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable New England Zone, Van Helsing. And with me, all the way from across the pond, in the land of the Red Dragon, Mr. Steve Parsons. No star, Ron. How are you? I no thought star, I like that. You know, I could, That's I, I could never evening. figure that out. I know, That's I know. I mean, uh, yeah, I know, but... Um, uh, Gavin came over here, and he was always saying that. It, it always sounds like North Star. Is it North Star, or, or how is it uh, actually? Phonetically, North Star. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's and, phonetic. And it, phonetically, and, and is it is it based on that? I mean, is, is that the gist of it? Um, no, nothing like. <laughs> it's it's no, it's uh, just. It's just no, uh, nos, good night. Uh, so it's night. Yeah. It's good night. Uh, good evening, Nostar. Oh, very good. Thank you. And uh, we're right here on Tojanet Pararex, and soon to be on Crystal Tear Radio, which is kind of cool. I'm excited about that. I'm I'm just so excited that you actually. Re- well, I'm just excited you remembered we had a show tonight. It was getting tight. Before. Actually, I didn't. I didn't. I was. Um, <laughs> I was actually moving kitchen cabinets so when uh, the phone rang and then I realized, so I'm getting onto the computers right now. So anyways, we've got a great guest tonight, I understand. He's, he's uh, I don't think I've ever had anyone from the Republic of Ireland before, so I'm, I'm kind of excited about this. And uh, well, So you, know, you want to introduce Ghost, Well, as it's called Ghost Chronicles International, and we've been doing it backwards and forwards across the Atlantic for uh, the longest time, I thought uh, we've been firing this signal straight over the top of uh, Ireland, uh, both north and south. So I thought it was time that we included them. And uh, literally, um, just across the water from me, in fact, you can see uh, the county of Wexford, in the Republic of Ireland, from the high ground of West Wales, where I am, on a clear day. Um, and seriously? There is paranormal t- seriously. Um, and there is a paranormal team based over there in the county of Wexford, a place I've visited many times. And uh, they have an excellent reputation, and they're a group I follow on Facebook and keep up to date with their adventures. And the lead investigator and one of the co-founders of the team is Michael Benson. And hopefully, uh, sort of the signal going halfway, well, a little way back towards North America. Uh, Michael, how are you? I'm good, Steve. Thank you very much. And hello, Ron. How are you? A uh, pleasure. A pleasure. Yes, I think I'm keeping know. with you. Know, we have... 
We have a huge Irish population here in Boston, you know, in Massachusetts. That's right, yeah. We, we, we've, uh, we've made every concerted effort to take over the world, but it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's always tr- we've always tried to make it in through the back door, I think. Uh, you know what's interesting? Now, correct me if I'm wrong, because, you know, I get a little fuzzy uh, sometimes with the names and history and stuff. St. Colombo, is he yours? No, he's a policeman. <laughs> no, 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 no. There's, there's a, there was this uh, this guy who went up being a monks. Uh, I thought they were Irish. I could be wrong, uh, but they you're might have probably, settled in North America. Yeah, I think you're talking about Saint Columbanus. If I'm not wrong, and I could be. <laughs> uh, you're probably more writer so. than I. That's for sure. It's not the guy in the raincoat, then. No. No, <laughs> Peter Falk that was, wasn't it? <laughs> it's Peter Falk. Columbo, yes, that's right. Very good. You get uh, American TV over there. That's a shame. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, it, it, that's, a, that's a big deal. I mean, because uh, if he is Irish, and, and that's the guy I'm talking about, he, he led uh, uh, exploration into North America. And right far from me, right over the border of New Hampshire, is uh, America Stone Hedge and uh, Henge, and uh, that was supposed to be one of the theories behind it. It was settled by uh, him, so uh, there is a connection here. Very good. Maybe I should claim that he's a distant relative now. And... <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> Actually, if, I, if memory serves me right, while we're doing the patron saints, the Welsh patron saints, and David um, is yep. now... Is he Irish, or did he? He certainly he certainly went over to Ireland to study religion, but I'm not sure whether he was Irish, or whether the Welsh, uh, or whether it was a Welsh guy who became the Irish patron saint. A Welsh guy. Yeah. Well, it... <laughs> there is certainly a link between the two, and I'm just trying to remember whether it's a Welshman who went to Ireland to become your patron saint, or whether it was an Irishman who came over to Wales to become our patron saint. Well, I know St. Patrick wasn't Irish originally. I, I don't believe so, anyway. So, but he's our patron no. saint. So, I, no, 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 no. We just tend to, you know, collect people where we can and keep them. I think that's the plan, anyway. You know, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm displaying my limited knowledge of, of religious history now, but anyway, so be it. <laughs> but I mean, oh, that, I mean, you never know the, the way the show is going to go. So I, I do apologize for that. But that's, oh, that's fine. I'm happy. I'm on board here. It's okay. You mentioned the. Just had it clarified, Ron. Um, the Irish patron what? saint, Patrick, or Padraig, okay. was Welsh. Thank you to the chat room. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, okay I there you go. Yeah. But, I mean, you said you, you don't know too much about religion. So I, I, I'm guessing, and as a paranormal investigator, as a ghost investor, a spirit investigator, that. You don't believe religion comes involved with that at all? Oh, I I certainly think it does. I think it has a huge part to play, but probably, I think, predominantly, if we're to get technical about it, in the the projected personal narrative maybe that that people will will take into the field with them or will will consider maybe when they have an experience in their home that they can't explain you know and and, and that's something we try to do if we can at all is to get people to recognize that there is a, a vast difference sometimes between the occurrence itself and their thoughts about it which ultimately is um 
to a large degree their their projection of personal narrative onto the occurrence. If oh, that makes sense. Good. No, it does make sense. It makes absolutely sense, and, and it's mm. a good way to look at it, actually, um, because. Yeah, what our own experiences are so important. I mean, it's if you know, you know. I know this is supposed to be a no ob zone, but uh, I know that if you show a picture of, like, for instance, an ob to uh, different people in a, in according to their own beliefs, they will see absolutely different things. Some will believe it's a you know spirit energy. Some people will believe it's dust. Some people will believe it's a ET. Some people will believe it's a blessed virgin. It it's all depends on their. Uh, you, you know what their personal beliefs are. Exactly. Yeah. No, I think you're absolutely right there, Ron. I, I would agree 100% with that. I wouldn't. No. <laughs> well, not, not, not with all. I, well, I, I, I can't, I can't accept that people will believe that uh, that it's down to they belief do. whether it's done. No, I can't accept well, that it's down no, to wait. just. That the, yeah, what the, do you mean you can't accept that, it? It's done all the time. Because what, 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 are you because what you said. What you said is it's down to personal belief, whether it's dust or not. And it's not. That's down exactly. to scientific fact. Right. That's scientific fact. That's not down to personal belief. No, no, belief. no, no. Yeah, no, no I, I'm, I going know, to, I'm going no. to. I, I, <laughs> I'm going to stand right in the middle of this and say, Steve is right as well. Insofar as that's, but what we think we're talking about is the projection of personal perspective, and even in the face of substantive scientific evidence, if a person chooses to project their own narrative. They're going to do that anyway. Well, that's true enough. I love, I love you, Michael. You, 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 you get it. No, I, I, no, I haven't. In making that, that, listen, that, that, that's that's just an observation now. Don't, don't ruin it. Wait a minute. Don't ruin it, Michael. You, you, you've scored lots of points. We'll just let it lie at that and what, move on. What you've done, what, yeah. What you've done, Michael, is bail one out about your group. Again. No, no. That's why I'm trying. I'm, I'm trying to. I, I have to qualify that. We want to hear thing. all about your paranormal group. <laughs> okay. Ron's digging a hole. We moved on. Ron's digging a hole again. <laughs> we moved that was on. A, that was an observation, now, not a judgment. So it doesn't reflect on taking sides at all. It's just simply an observation of that what. That just reflects what, on Ron's back. complete inability to understand the concept that cameras can take pictures of dust and. So tell us all about your paranormal group, Michael. It sounds like really, it's really an interesting group. That. <laughs> I've moved, yes, actually indeed. moved it up to my favourite. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Your Christmas card is on the way as we speak. Thank um, you. Yes, my, my, the, the, the team that is Wexford Paranormal, we are in, in an international sense very definitely near neighbours to, to Steve. We're only 55 miles apart, which is nothing in the grand scheme of things. But the team as it stands presently has been in operation since the end of 2010 into 2011. Um, I must confess, I have a great bunch of people, and they all bring different perspectives, and they all bring different skills, and and that properly utilised is an asset, not a liability, because each of us challenge each other to challenge ourselves. And I think that's you know, if if you in this field, if you always do what you always done, you'll always get what you always got. To, to be a little bit uh, coining of a phrase, but I think there's a truth in that, you know. We need to always yeah. hypothesize, test, and then on the basis of that test, hypothesize again, which I think is, is the fundamental cornerstone of, I, I suppose, the scientific approach to any area of interest, whether it be the paranormal field or, or science in a more conventional sense, let's say. Uh, so a good bunch of people. We're, we're, we're um, a little bit light on the men. There's three men in the team and seven ladies, but from the men's point of view, happy days. Oh, that's <laughs> a shame. That's a real shame. <laughs> 
I know I like you, Michael. I, and now I know why. <laughs> Yeah, because um, as you just heard, Ron, he talks sense. As he said, it's down. It's 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 a mixture. It's a balanced mixture of belief and perspectives, and also it's hypothesized, test, hypothesized, retest, etc., etc. Right, so, and there's seven see, women on the team. That's yeah. that's just a bonus. That's a bonus. <laughs> that a ghost. That's all. I mean, I hear what I want to hear. I'm just like the guy that sees the you know the Blessed Virgin and the cheese, uh, grilled cheese sandwich. <laughs> I yeah, picked out yeah. the, the main points. <laughs> so, I mean, Michael, I mean, <sighs> how did you get involved in it? I mean, is it something that, you know, you just fell into? You watched some TV show and did it? Or, or have you had experience no, I, I, all, all I, your lives? Or... Yeah, I've had a curiosity and interest for, for a very long uh, time without getting into numbers and giving away my age. But from a very early age, I, I had experiences let's call them that that I couldn't quite qualify or understand and as I got older um, and potentially wiser I thought a, a great way for me to explore and try to understand my personal experiences would be to explore them from from the point of view of the experience of other people and by doing that remove myself from the personal emotional context of my own ones and be a little bit more analytical and a little bit more um, What's the word? Perspective neutral, maybe, in the exploration of somebody else's, just to, t to take away that emotional context. And maybe if I can find answers for other people, then by extension, maybe I'll actually get to the bottom of my own experiences that heretofore, heretofore have been uh, un, 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 unexplainable or you know, not understood at this point by me. I mean, for Michael, example, look, yes, Steve. In the, just jumping in on what you said there. Um, Michael, you could have chose to After, ignore him, by the way. It's okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm too nice for that. <laughs> I, was just going to say, I was just going to ask you. Um, it's kind of a follow-up to what you just said, which is uh, you have to see sometimes we do appear to jump in. It's a bit of a Skype delay that we have sometimes, so I'm not sure okay. when somebody's finished. Um, have you actually been able to resolve any of the questions you set yourself by trying to resolve other people's issues? Honestly, no. <laughs> but, you know, it's always around that next corner, isn't it? Well, that's true. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, to give an example uh, that, I, that I've given in the past, so people may be familiar with this, uh, when I was 12, um, and the reason I remember I was 12, it was actually the night before, I was due to make my confirmation. I had been out in the back garden getting cold. It was March. It was cold. Um, I was keen to get back in as quick as I could. When I heard my name called, so I actually went back inside and asked my mum, what do you want? I'm, I'm trying to get this call for you. And she said, I didn't call you. So I went back out and I heard it a second time. And on this occasion, I thought it might have been one of my friends messing about. So I went out through the uh, gateway of the house, looked into next door's garden, no sign of anyone. I uh, went back and the third time then my name was called, I, I, I turned around to see in the opening of the gateway what I would describe as a, a figure of an old woman. Uh, but even though it was a form that I could see by virtuous shape, I could, it, was trans, it was translucent. I could see through it. I could see the details of the streetlights outside that would be behind her, but through the form itself. So, I mean, I had no reason, no predisposition to think in those terms when I had that experience. So that was one of the first ones I remember. And, and on I went from there in terms of trying to understand where that comes from and what the cause of it might be and why it would happen in the first instance. Steve? Is that 
the hell? Sorry. Yes, it did answer the question. Sorry, I'm trying to get... Uh, that is explained before. There's a slight delay, which is making mm-hmm. it. Uh, wasn't quite sure whether Michael had finished, so I just paused for a minute. A minute it seemed like thirty minutes. Well, you speak for oh, yourself. Well. Anyways, yeah. So, so Michael, I mean, what what, what type of equipment do you use? I do you use equipment. Yeah, look, I mean, we've got lots of toys, and 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 it's it's the the gambit of of all you will have heard before. So you know, you've got your your geophones, your motion sensors, your night vision, your infrared, your ultraviolet, you know, the UV and IR, uh, all this kind of gear. Um, H4 digital recorders, various EMF meters, and so on, and uh, they all get utilised to a lesser or greater extent as the occasion the occasion requires it, I guess, you know, but. The thing is, with all, with all of these, again, it's just principles and theories and ideas that we, we test using them and hopefully refine over time. Like, for example, one of the things that interests me is the whole area of EVP. So, you know, we can go to a location, whether it be a, a well-known castle or a fort or a private home, and engage in EVP sessions, and maybe we capture something, maybe we don't. The question is... Okay, we've captured, but, but where does it come from? How is it created? Is it in the atmosphere and we don't hear it, or is it um, uh, placed directly on a magnetic tape or the digital recorder? You know, so, I mean, they're the kind of things that we would even kind kind of experiment with and test a little bit. For example, we'd use if we want to test it in in an abstract sense. What we have done on occasion is got a an old 1960s reel-to-reel Grundig tape recorder um, which would be valve state and then we take an analog cassette recorder and then a digital recorder and we put the three of them into one space and explore if we capture anything is it on all three of them and if it is what did that say about how it's created if it's only on the cassette tapes well that says something in itself because it's not on the digital so you know it's just explore and maybe try and get to a, a clearer perspective on not only the fact that they can be captured but, but how are they created in the first instance in that uh, in that assessment of VVP, is there a basic assumption that you're dealing with a discarnate voice, or is the basic premise first of all to find the source, be it normal or un- you know other otherworldly, unusual? Yeah, I don't think there is any basic premise other than to see if, for example, in the case of using the three of them, well, if you get something and it's on all three of them. Can the argument then be made that wherever it comes from, it's in the environment of the location by virtue of being on all three? Uh, if it's only on the analog through means of magnetic transference, if that's what creates the effect, well, what is it that might be behind the generation of that? Um, you know, and is it environmental? Is it natural occurring? Is it something else discarnate or, or a disembodied? Um, spirit of a deceased person or whatever the case might be you know but it's always what if and what about and did we consider uh, and and then it brings us back full circle to the hypothesize test hypothesize again philosophy you know but as i said earlier like the team members will in themselves have different perspectives we come from different places in relation to this different views mm-hmm. on scientific versus spirituality and, and and that's not a bad thing i don't think as long as people are open to honest, respectful dialogue um, where um, even if I don't agree with your perspective, I respect the fact that you're entitled to have it. Do you find that... Oh, that, um, that, that, that ooh. I was going to say, do you find that people... Go ahead, go ahead. Uh, you, to what extent do you find that people's beliefs actually colour their 
the judgments as to what what uh, what is recorded um you know that there is a sound that's that's picked up on a recorder be it analog be it digital uh do you find that that people's belief plays a great part in 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 what they perceive it to be that's a very good question actually and i and i to answer it directly i'm not sure but what i will say is this sometimes people will have an unexplained occurrence and they will contact you in order to try and identify the root cause of it but sometimes when you offer them your interpretation or your investigation and your sound analytical findings of it they're not always ready to relinquish their initial perspective so yes it does i think uh, influence their their ideas to a, to a great extent but you know across the board i don't know but certainly that's one of the issues that you can sometimes run into with, with, with private cases. You know, like somebody will say to you, oh, for the last six months, things have been moving in my house and I hear footsteps and noises and the press door is in the kitchen open and there's no one there and all this kind of thing. And it's really scary. You know, but once you go beyond the what happens into the statement of it's really scary, you're back to the realms of projecting a perspective on the situation because an open door isn't a scary thing. A noise isn't a scary thing unless we project frightening ideas or scary ideas onto it. Now, I'm not saying that's always the case, but in, in most instances, I, I would find that. And even encouraging the, the individual to recognize that and to be able to separate that sometimes gives them a greater control over the situation because they now recognize that what are the parts of this I have control over? Well, one of them is how I choose to talk to myself about it and how I choose to think about it. And if I change what I think, sometimes by extension, the experience changes as well. Sometimes. Do you also find that I, I, something we found with uh, when we're dealing with individuals and their own experiences that, for instance, whilst you might be able to offer them an explanation, uh, your, your investigation may have actually uncovered a... Mm-hmm. A, a genuine cause of a phenomena that they're experiencing that that uh, the actual experience itself for the person is let's say a benefit or a, a comforting experience and then you face a dilemma mm-hmm. do you actually give them yeah, the full ha- explanation or do you ha- leave them with the, and remove that comfort blanket yeah I'm, I'm, glad, no, I'm actually glad you raised that question in that way because the methodology that I employ, that we employ, that we find is is most effective and most respectful of the client is we take the reported claims of potential activity, we go and we explore them. And then at the end of it all, I can say to them, look, here's where we went, here's what we did, here's what we caught. Now, here's what we understand that to represent. You decide. I don't think you can ever take away the right of the individual to locate themselves in relation to it in spite of all you've presented them with. So no, because, uh, because they, as you, you know, it's they do often um, take the experiences and and use it as a, you know, particularly in the case of bereavement, um, and certain experiences that they have following bereavement as a great comfort, and it's it's a huge dilemma on the mm. investigator in how to deal with that situation when you oh, absolutely, you know, for example, you know, you know that what they're seeing is a perfectly normal phenomenon that's taking place, mm. uh, mm-hmm. an example of pareidolia or or some other normal event. But then if you go and have, well, you know what? It's just it's just your imagination. It's just a shape on the on the wall. It's a smudge on the wall. You're actually at risk of giving the 
the individual potentially more more harm I, I guess yeah I, again I suppose it's, it's about the language we employ so um, I would I would probably sometimes generalize it and say that you know in my experience what I often find is that when you look into these things but to take it away from the individual picture but at least you're informing the individual um, with regard to concepts ideas and and possible considerations that they can explore even let it be in their own time and if after that they come full circle and arrive where they start well that's you know their right and their privilege but we've at least offered them the opportunity for greater informed yeah. decision making and in that i think we've done them a service anyway it's kind of informed consent I, I want i want to go back to your statement you, you were talking about uh, saying different things about uh, religion and so forth so anna in the chat room actually brought up a question and said should all ghost hunters be atheists um well, I, I suppose I, I would answer that question with the question and say, why? I don't think so. I don't think so. Because if we all take the same perspective, then where's the... I, I think we minimize the opportunity for learning because um, it's like reading a book to some extent. If I read a book that speaks to me, it reconnects me to who I understand I, myself to be. If I read a book that doesn't say anything to me, it still reconnects me to who I understand myself to be in the context of not having said anything. And I think it's a little bit like that. You know, that it's, it's a mirror against which we can consistently evaluate and reevaluate ourselves and our position and our perspective on, on the subject. You know, whether it be paranormal or anything, I suppose, in, in, in life. I think it's also well, worth pointing well, out for the benefit of Anne that uh, historically speaking, the, the members of the clergy of uh, numerous religions, uh, the, the Anglican, uh, Catholic, etc., uh, there is a, a, you know, a historical bias towards them being interested in psychical research. In fact, both churches, uh, the Anglican and the Catholic Church, have set up their own individual commissions and committees to examine the, the claims of psychical research over the years. Yeah, yeah. I, I, know I know that, but I think I know where she's going. If if you're atheist, you're not skewed by the, by a religious belief. Uh, so I think that's what she's trying to say. Um, but I agree with Michael, and, and it's perhaps advantageous to have many different views, uh, so yeah, that because you you make sure you're not analyzing something from strictly one point of view or another. Yeah, because I think you, you you know the flip side to that argument is that. If you're atheist, then arguably your your perspective is skewed by virtue of that very fact. So it's it's a six right. of one half and goes to the other argument to some extent. You know, absolutely, um, Mike. You, Steve, you mentioned earlier, and I certainly don't want to open the Pandora's box of, on the subject of, of pareidolia and matrixing, but that just well, comes uh, back. Actually, we're going to ask. I'm going to ask you to hold that, Mike, uh, Michael, okay. because we are coming up to the break, and I, and I know this is going to kick off a big argument. Of one sort of another. Um, so we will hold that in, in a second. And uh, anyways, uh, you're listening to uh, Ghost Chronicles uh, International right here on Tojanet, Pararex, Ghost Channel Beyond, uh, with uh, Mr. Parascience, uh, Steve Parson, New England's humble Van Helsink, and of course our special guest, uh, Michael, uh -oh, what's his last name? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> we'll be right back after the following messages. Welcome to Tokinet, radio with a cutting edge. 
feel the need to do some soul searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? Then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more, located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more, all in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place, an oasis in this hectic world. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They all talk ugly gooky, the Parrax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parrax family. They're strange, deranged, unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew, it's time to rendezvous. As we give awards to the Parrax family. Alright. Hi, I'm Ron Kolick, author and lead investigator of the New England Ghost Project, New England's own Van Helsink. And I'm Ann Kerrigan, the blonde bombshell, and I'm the lead investigator of East Bridgewater's Most Haunted. And we'd like to invite you to tune in. Ghost Chronicles, the next generation. Every Wednesday night. At 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on www.toginet.com. So, so yeah, what are they going to hear on this stupid show? What are they going to hear? They are going to hear things that they can't believe are happening. Like uh, Beyond Bizarre. And Cemetery Tripping. Oh, that's your deal, right? Absolutely. Yeah, one of these days you're going to get uh, so scared of one of these cemetery tripping things that uh, you'll, I'll have to get a new co-host. <laughs> I am brave beyond belief. Nothing yeah, we'll see. scares me. So anyways, if you're bored and you got nothing to do on Wednesday night, tune in to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Anne and Ron. See you then. And God willing, and with the following breeze across the Atlantic, we're back live on Ghost Chronicles International with me, Steve Parsons, here in the land of the Welsh Welsh Red Dragon. Over in New England, we have Mr. Van Helsing, who's New England's very own kitchen fitter. And halfway between us is Michael Benson, the lead investigator and founder of Wexford Paranormal. You're listening to Togginet, Para-X, the ghost channel, and maybe even a podcast. And before the break, we were just about to start a three-way discussion on Paradolia. Wasn't that right, Michael? Before Ron so rudely interrupted you. That's right. I mean, discussion is, is, is key to this rather than any other, perhaps, uh, choice of word to, to describe yeah. <laughs> a conversation around Pardalia. <laughs> uh, look, I mean, what I was going to say was it's something that comes up time and time again. People contact you with photos and they're sending things in. And the point I, I was actually wanting to make was that, again, when you present them with 
um, uh, a rational explanation of it. Uh, they can be, but the person can be very reluctant to let go of their original perspective, even though they've asked you for yours. Um, and it, it tends to spark off heated debates from time to time. Um, I'm using that, those words instead of arguments, but I think it all amounts to the same thing. I mean, look, one of the things we were interested in doing because of that fact, um, we'd been working on a, a documentary for a while, and the idea of the documentary was to show the human story behind this type of work that we do. You know, what does it take? What sacrifices do you make to... to to go out on the weekend to assist somebody in their home or even to, to venture to a location like Enniscorthy Castle or whatever. But we were interested in doing a photo experiment really just to test people's perspectives, you know, a psychological experiment on on pareidolia. So what we did was we actually constructed um, a, a photo to a very high extent. We were working with it with a photographic expert who then, by using the, the dictionary definition of what a, a ghost is, you know, the soul of a dead person or a disembodied spirit, created an artificial artifact in the photo and then without any explanation we posted it up and we asked people to tell us what they saw, if anything, etc, etc. You know, and people were coming back seeing things in doorways um, and uh, what I found was that the, the, the more fussy, if you like, the, the section of wall or doorway was, that the more people were predisposed to seeing shapes. It's that whole uh, form in randomness argument, you know, that we're hardwired to see. But very few people actually identified the artifact that we had constructed. We told people there was a high-resolution high copy of the photo that they could have in order to um, explore it further. I think six people asked for that out of everyone that discussed the, the, and debated the fact. Um, nobody saw a figure in the doorway until the first person did, and then everyone saw it. And there was blood on the floor. There was levitating tables. So I think that's a perfect example of how people will take something quite arbitrary and project a story based on assumptions because it's on a paranormal page because the team is asking what you see in it and um and, and begin to project from there so it was a very interesting experiment that we ran for three weeks to see if anybody would debunk it and uh, as it happens they didn't and as i say only tr only six people out of all the participants requested the high resolution photo to explore it further so there we go what that was, was it, what was I'm intrigued to see what sort of person was actually requesting the higher resolution photograph. Um, I will say that it, it was for the most part people involved in paranormal teams or, or would have had some experience of the, the process of paranormal investigation um, uh -huh. and, and, and probably has, has undertaken these, these tasks themselves with their own photos that they've captured at, at locations. Yeah. But I, I think what I'm getting at is it does say that people are very ready to accept a story or a perspective to some extent unquestioningly, you know, and, and okay. we all add our little piece to it and then it, it begins to snowball and become something far greater than it ever was in reality. Uh, so it was an interesting experiment, you know. But, um, you, it, but actually, actually, uh, phone call from the dead, um, actually you have the opposite as well no matter if you had a true picture of a ghost uh there are some people who will totally yep. deny it you're absolutely right absolutely but i think if we can encourage people to be considered and you know analytical even you know to their own end at least we're, we're trying to remove some of the oh, 
extreme silliness that can sometimes present out of these types of photos. Mm -hmm. uh, silliness being assumption or projection or whatever, so, you know. Let me let me throw this at you, Michael. Um, EVP. Uh, what is your definition of an EVP? My one or the commonly held one, I suppose. You know, it's it's a quote unquote disembodied voice that's captured on an, on a recording device that wasn't heard in the environment by those present at the time. That would be my generic take on EVP, as opposed to other classifications like ITC using a Frank's box or whatever the case might be. Which, by the way, is is, is a tool that I quite enjoy using and testing and measuring and and uh, exploring at length. Uh, Steve, I know we spoke about this before, just between ourselves uh, in a previous chat. But it's a it's a tool I like because, rationally speaking, I understand it's a set. Well, of let's not go on to the Frank box yet because yes. I want to go back to this paradolia again. Okay, Don't sorry, I'm on, I'm on a roll. Don't I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry, Ron, but you actually bounced it off onto EVP then, and then. You, <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, 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 yeah you did. You did. And, and if you're listening to the, if you're listening to the podcast, you, just back up about 15 seconds. If you go into the classic uh, definition of an EVP, uh, an EVP is the spirit uh, manifesting its voice using the white noise on a recorder. So in reality, if you take a photograph and you take a smudge on a, and a mirror or a smudge on a piece of glass or yep. on the wall or whatever, then yep. what, why couldn't the spirit manifest its space or whatever on that smudge by using that smudge or the, the, um, the imperfections of the glass or mirror to do that? It's pretty much as he does in a white noise. I suppose the question I would ask is, is why through a mirror or through a reflective surface, insofar as I, I would wonder if it has the capacity to affect or influence at that level, could it not be more direct in impressing itself onto an image? Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that it can't why, why, do what, you know. If, if, we're, if, we're, if I can jump in um, yeah. and try and answer that with you there, Michael, because, Ron, why would if we're if we're dealing with spirits and we're assuming for a minute that we're dealing with discarnate uh spirits of sentient humans after they've mm -hmm. passed over to another plane right why is it why is it that these you know we're human beings are an intelligent species by and large uh why is it that you know we come back as soap bubbles or we spend our time in eternity trying to appear as smudges on mirrors Michael's absolutely hit the nail on the head. Why we don't, don't we just use you, our you human intelligence? The answer you were just uh, saying. Well, no, it's a, it's no, it, it's a question that comes up time you, and time again. Stephen, you why, ask. Why? And do, do you no, if you deal with if you deal with the old phenomena, you're not asking my question. Then we're expecting. Well, I am. I'm, but I'm asking. I'm answering it by posing a problem. You're not, you're not, you'll not allow me to answer the question. Okay, so why do we come back as soap bubbles and smudges on mirrors? That's the whole thing why we study this, because we don't know what spirit can do and what it can't do. If you talk all through the, the classics right from the beginning, uh, that's always been the answer. And the psychology of spirit, why they do what they do. Uh, I well, it flies in the face of spiritualism, because spiritualism, with it, with its 150 years of apparently communicating with spirit mm -hmm. actually tell us the opposite because uh, messages that have come through uh, in terms of 
uh, direct spiritualist communication through seances and through automatic writing and through transmediumship actually paint a very vibrant picture of an afterlife in which uh, we continue as sentient beings continuing to interact intelligently and there is no mention within the context of those post-death returning messages from the spiritualist world that we come back as soap bubbles or smudges on mirrors. This is a new concept that's come about from from modern ghost hunting. It's not led by spiritualism. It actually talks about the opposite. From moving moving planchettes and and trumpets to making their face known on a smudged glass. But that's not what spiritualists say. Mm, Okay. Yeah, I mean, if we're talking about planchettes and, and glasses and things as well. Again, you know, from an experimentation point of view, I, I just, like, the methodology that, that I quite like to employ, and I'm only speaking personally now in saying this, is, you know, rule out what it isn't first and then explore what you're left with and, and, and consider and evaluate. But if the theory of, of moving a glass or moving a planchette is that it's the energy conducted through the human body that is uh, what facilitates the, the, the spirit or the presence to move it, well then, Theoretically, if you use a conductor, that same energy can be transferred from me to the glass via a strand of copper wire, for example. And and if that connection is still made, should then theoretically the same potential for movement not exist? But I would just wonder if that would happen if we had four people with four single strands of copper wire from a, a, a flex or a cable but, to facilitate but Michael, that transfer. You're assuming, you're assuming the spirit of energy is some type of electrical energy. If it's the type of energy we don't, don't understand or don't copy. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, 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 that's why I, at the start, Ron, I, I kind of qualified that by saying if we assume, because it is an assumption that, that forms the basis of the, in, the initial exploration for me, and then I explore it and take stock and reevaluate and explore further and maybe find that I was completely off the mark in that statement or that assumption. Uh, no, it's, 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 well, I've got, I've got a difficult – I've got a question here that's uh, – it's coming via, via Facebook, actually. Um, and it's, it's related to this spirit energy question. And it, it relates to a, a, a claim on the Wexford Paranormal website. Um, and it, it talks about my favourite type of meter, which is why I noticed it. And this K2. is it's, uh, Yeah, the K2. And it says apparently on your website, uh, the K2 <laughs> gives accurate readings, has a fast response time, and is well proven in the field. The K2 is a firm favourite with many paranormal investigation groups That's worldwide. And the, the questioner... The questioner wants uh, wants us to quiz you on the claim that it gives accurate readings and is well proven in the field. I well, see a number of right answers. <laughs> I suppose accurate readings, yes, but of what? I mean, it, all meters of this type measure electrical or EMF fields. So even where you baseline the location um, and then get anomalous electrical. Uh, readings on a K2 or a Lutron or a millimeter or whatever, you know, people are very quick to say, oh, it's a spirit. No, these these devices don't locate ghosts or spirits. They locate electrical energy. You know, you know EMFs, we use trifield meters as well, and you've got, you know, the static and the magnetic and so on. But I'll have to go back and look at that. <laughs> it's quite a while <laughs> since I've looked at our own website. 
But whoever that was, thank you for uh, highlighting the issue. I'll have to refine the language there, clearly. It's, it's, it's actually something that I think a lot of groups, uh, it shows an evolution. Um, and it's one that, you know, you go through perhaps our group's web page and you mm. find things from 10 years ago or 15 years ago mm. where, you you know, it does show that you have evolved your thinking. Uh, pieces of equipment that we used to rely on 10, 15 years ago, ideas that we used to... We used to explore 10 or 15 mm. years ago. We've now learned that they're not currents or that they're not valid theories. And you progress forward. And I, I don't think it's a bad thing necessarily to leave your history intact to show mm. that progression and to show that development. So uh, whilst you might want to revisit the site, it doesn't necessarily mean you should mm. rewrite history. No, I mean, one of the things I would ask, you know, very often now, if I'm using a K2, I'll have a millimeter on or I'll have the Lutron um, EMF meter on and you know you get a spike on the K2 and your mel is saying 0.0 milligauss well why is that and what, why has this device which is supposed to measure the same thing as this one cre- caused a reaction or an apparent reaction to something that the other one hasn't identified okay we, we've got microwave signals we've got mobile phones which realistically everyone should have turned off anyway when they're on the location but uh, you know th- those things are, are all um, to be explored. Um, so yeah, I think you're right, Steve. So it's all about the evolution of us as investigators, our knowledge base, yeah. the field in yeah. general, and and each one isn't mutually exclusive because each one feeds into the other and informs the other yeah. and moves the it, collective forward. I mean, when exactly. Steve, when Steve came over here last October, uh, I left him a couple of magazines where he was staying, and uh, he got a, a charge out of one of them, didn't you, Steve? Um. It, it was exactly this point because it it does uh, when I, when I first read it, yes, uh, I was a little bit surprised because there you were talking about orbs and uh, phenomena like that in a very positive way. But then I looked at the data on the magazine, and then I, I you know I can look back at our own website and ten years ago. Uh, you know, we were also looking at phenomena in a very different way because they were new phenomena. The all back in the late 1990s was, was you know, it, digital photography was in its infancy. This was something mm. that, that was, you know, it was completely intriguing and it was, it was baffling, you know, everybody. Uh, uh, but now, you know, 12, 13 years later, we've learned more about this more about the phenomena itself right. now i just want to refer I, I want to ask michael about his book uh, mm-hmm. to give him the oh, opportunity to plug book. it well, he will have short he will have shortly and he's going to plug it but there's <laughs> there's uh sharon in the chat room is is asking a question but it's spread over about five or six lines so it's a bit difficult to actually trace uh the question so uh, Sharon, if you can clarify your question, we'll try and answer that one. Meanwhile, Michael, I believe you're writing a book about haunted Wexford. I am, and thank you for asking me. Um, I, yeah, I, it's it's a, a project that I that I took on. I quite enjoy doing. It's finished now in terms of the writing, and I'm just at the stage where the final um, photos and images are being correlated for the book. And uh, it will be on the shelves next year. And I'm also very excited to say that um, the um, forward for the book has been written by a, a very learned individual, somebody who's familiar to both me, to Ron, and to you, Steve. <laughs> Should we tell Ronnie who it is? Oh, oh Mr. Charles <laughs> Hooper, then. <laughs> uh, no, I was... I was um, I, 
I've got to throw my hands up here. I was I was given the huge the huge honour and privilege of being asked by Michael to write the forward to the book, um, which is and and of course that meant I got to read it now. I, I don't want to give anything away, but I've been over to, to the Republic uh, of Ireland uh, quite a number of times. I mean, you know, it's it's a one and a half mile drive from my front door to the Irish Republic. Um, <laughs> or at least that's what the odometer on the car says when I drive off the ferry at the other end. <laughs> um, and so every time I go over, I always look look for, uh, you know, ghost gazetteers, ghost books. And there aren't that many, uh, not many. There's, right. a, there's a few tourist-based ones, but there aren't any good ones for the southeast. In fact, there's not that many good ones for the whole of the Republic. Um, and after having read the draft copy that Michael sent me, um, I now know that there is at least one for the southeast corner. The book I that I—it's the book that I was always been—I've always been looking for when I've been over uh, in the southeast looking for books. Yeah, and, and the book for, for the people who, who are listening and might be considering at some point getting their hands on it. The brief was that it was to be a general interest uh, body of work, that it wasn't to be the Anorak version. So while we touch on the types of equipment we use and how we employ it and, and the, the reason for it, it's really about the places we've gone. So, for example, we go to Enniscardi Castle, built in 1190, stood there for 800 years, has seen significant Irish social history. So we, we tell a bit of the history of the location. We present some of the reports and claims that have come from there over the, the number of years. Uh, if we've spent time there, as we have in, in, in a number of the chapters, what we found and how that measures up or otherwise to the reports and claims that, that are out there, um, and, and a little bit of a, a summary and analysis of that. So I like to think it's an, in, an entertaining read. Um, it's, it's certainly honestly written, and I hope it comes across that way when people do read it, because I think as paranormal investigators, fundamental is honesty of approach honesty with ourselves about what we know and what we don't know and i think if we if we adhere to those three things you know regardless of knowledge base or limitation thereof we're not going to do ourselves an injustice and then by extension we're not going to do any injustice or any harm to any potential client that we might work with and you know and and every day and every case yields a new experience of ourselves and a new understanding of the subject and our approach to it without being too I suppose philosophical about it but that that's for me what what it is the process the journey that that I'm on and I suppose most of us as investigators are on excellent uh when's it when's it when when's it uh, available Michael the official release date is actually the 1st of August next year. Now, with a bit of luck, perhaps it might be sooner because I'm ahead of schedule with the completion of it. But the official date uh, is the 1st of August. Having said that, it is available for pre-order, I understand, on Amazon and the Book Depository and a few places like that. Okay. You know? Do you want to give me a website out one more time too? Perfect. Yeah, anyone wants to check out our website for uh, inaccuracies and <laughs> it's <laughs> it's um, www.wexfordparanormal.com and we're on Facebook as well, of course. Um, so you want to find out about us and what we do or, or, or share your experiences with, that's absolutely great because, look, we've had numerous teams now join us in Enniscorthy and a few other places at the castle uh, and I think it's fantastic to see teams coming together to share perspective, to share knowledge, to share learning. Uh, um, to share disagreements because there's learning in that too. Um, oh, we can have uh, Steve and I go over there. There'll be lots of this. <laughs> I've, been, I've been to Enniscorthy Castle and um, I've got to say it's it's an absolutely splendid castle. 
And the area that Michael's talking about has got another fantastic haunted location where I I tried to drag the we I was over on holiday a couple of years ago and I uh, I decided to drag all of all of my fellow holidaymakers up at the crack of dawn to go and sit on Vinegar Hill, which means mm. absolutely nothing to to Americans, but. Uh, uh, I, I think, Michael, you're in a better position to explain the 1798 and these stone memorials that are on almost every crossroads in the southeast. That's right. I mean, in, in 1798, that was the year of the rebellion in, in, in Ireland, and Enniscardi Castle uh, looks across at Vinegar Hill, and Vinegar Hill looks down all of, over all of Enniscardi. But on the for six weeks in the summer of the early summer of 1798. Uh, over 20,000 people, predominantly women and children, lost their lives in the rebellion of that year. And on the 21st of June was the, the, the battle uh, at Vinegar Hill. Um, and there's some suggestions as well of, of, of mass burials and, and mass graves in the area. Now, again, that's conjecture and, and belief as opposed to anything that I can offer by way of substantial evidence uh, to suggest that they are there. But it, it's certainly an experience to to stand on Vinegar Hill and to soak in the the atmosphere, you know. But there does we, seem to be a number of sightings, though, doesn't there, associated with the hill? Mm-hmm, People having experiences predominantly around dawn time. That's right, uh, because that's when the um, attack was initiated in the early hours uh, of that morning. Uh, we normally there's an event of some sort or a commemoration, I should say, of of some sort on at that time. I'd like to head up that that hill on that morning. Um, probably not with a K2 now under the circumstances <laughs> the conversation <laughs> we've just had but no I mean look absolutely there are reports I haven't seen them I haven't witnessed them but those reports are, are there and, and, and um, quite commonplace as well from, from uh, what I understand Steve uh, and Ron you know well I, I, mean, I did get up at 5 o'clock in the morning uh, to go in to go up there um, mm-hmm. but if anybody is over over in the southeast. I would also recommend the the 1798 uh, museum, which is in yeah. Enniscorthy. Yeah, as, that's just as really, an it, It's been recently overhauled, and some of the new exhibits that have gone in there are, are nothing short of amazing. You know, in terms of a, a visceral experience of yeah. what it was like, what went on, who the key players were, the, were the effect on the ordinary man, which is often forgotten about in in these. Scenarios. I was going to say it's very very relevant in terms of uh, perhaps any Americans who are going over there because it, it mm-hmm. studies uh, you know the 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 birth of a democracy um, and and yeah. a sort of the, uh, let's let's be honest, America and the Republic do have a common shared interest in rebelling against the British. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't? Yeah, uh, that's that's true. true. That's true. And <laughs> um, I'd just like to return quickly to Sharon in the chat room because uh, she asked a question, but it, it was a bit spread out. She's... Oh, and I've got know. two minutes. I know I've got two minutes because that was the big Sorry. Yeah, I've got no. I've got two minutes. I can answer it. it says, "Why does pareidolia make your ears hurt?" Uh, and she asked me to see if I could answer it. Well, I've got two possible solutions. One, <laughs> That's a great question. If it's if it's audio pareidolia, it's probably you're probably listening to it uh, with the volume turned up too too loud. Or if you're talking about visual pareidolia and it's making your ears hurt, then you might be suffering from synesthesia. Right. And if you listen to Ghost Chronicles International, maybe Steve Parson. <laughs> I'm just saying. Anyways, uh, we want to thank Michael. Uh, <laughs> 
so much for coming on today. And uh, once again, could you give out your website and so they can, you know, harass you there? Yeah, that's perfectly fine. It's www.wexfordparanormal.com. And guys, yeah. can I just say, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure. I've been looking forward to this. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed the uh, the pleasure and the, and the privilege of, of chatting to both of you again. Mm-hmm. Um, and Wex, uh, I, Wex, I can't believe an hour has passed that quick. Michael, Wexford, you know, that's that's kind of a weird name. Could you spell that out for us? So just... Yeah. Wexford is W-E-X-F-O-R-D. It actually originates, it's it's a, a Norse name, Weissfjord, um, if I was to be specific about it. But it, it evolved over time into Wexford, W-E-X-F-O-R-D. Well, Michael, we want to thank you so much for coming on the show. I certainly enjoyed talking with you. And, uh, you know, who, someday uh, maybe Steve and I will go up to uh, Castle with you and uh, yeah, see what we can stir up. Perfect. Consider the invitation an open one, and I would be delighted to see you both anytime over. You say that. I'll now. be over in July, actually. I'll be over there. Yes, again I know. July, so. I know, Steve. And we're not going to cross paths that month. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Apparently, you're leaving the country, aren't you? The that, that yeah. very week. Yeah. Yeah. There's no, no just a coincidence. Just a coincidence. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we'll have you back on the first of August. Who knows? Hopefully. Yeah. No. Well, let's let's see what happens. It's not. It's not far to swim. No, but I won't meet you halfway. <laughs> well, you know, it's time to say goodbye, guys. So, uh... Ron, a pleasure. Thank you very much, Steve. Thanks very much, and hopefully, oh, I thought you Michael. Soon. I will. And thank thanks for putting up with our madness as usual. Um, no, I felt very at home. Thank you. <laughs> have a good night, and uh, God bless. You too. Cheers now. Good night. God bless everybody. to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.